This is the IFF TV podcast. Hello, yes, and welcome to Irish Football Fan TV. Ger Brown, would you say, in the hot seat, where I'm delighted to be joined by Gary Spain and Andy Bell to talk about the debate. Two stories that have come back up in news headlines surrounding an All-Ireland national team and an All-Ireland league. As I mentioned, we've got our own Gary Spain here, and we're delighted to be joined by a guest, Andy Bell, from the Spirit 2016 podcast. Lads, how was the form on this Wednesday morning? All good, sir. Yes, not bad at all. Um, it's bizarre weather, I think, in the UK and Ireland at the minute. It's uh, one minute it seems to be twenty degrees, the next is snowing down. So uh, it's just typical, isn't it? But yeah, thanks for having me, and looking forward to this. Yeah, we've gone from getting sunburned to getting frostbite in space of forty eight <laughs> hours there over the Easter weekend. It is, it is mad. We thought we had summer last week, and now we're back into winter in April. So um, as I touched on there, I suppose we just have to come back with the international March break, which is I think it's fair to say was both disappointing campaigns. For both teams on the island, it's looking definitely unlikely in our, our case, the Republic, that we're going to be going to Qatar. And Northern Ireland's case, not much healthier, although at least you have a point on the board with a draw against Bulgaria. But it has led to a little bit of debate about the possibility of an all-island team. A senator down here in the Republic of Ireland from Monaghan, Fianna Fáil, Robbie Gallagher, he brought up the topic last week about that we're too small of a nation to have two separate uh, football teams on this island. Just even read some of the quotes they said. The reality is that for two small nations like Northern Ireland and the Republic to have two soccer teams on a small island, one island, and expect them to compete at international level is simply not on anymore. He then also referred to, uh, went on to refer to our nation's unity and pointed to Ireland's success at rugby, where we compete with the very best and obviously made reference to the rugby team's recent victory against England in the Six Nations and how they competed in the 2019 World Cup. And then his points were further backed up by Shannon's uh, leader, uh, Regina Doherty, saying it is something that we should be thinking about. Gary, I suppose, get from your kind of point of view first, I suppose you actually have a small bit of interest in the rugby. I get kind of the point where he's coming from there, but I think like the competitive kind of side of things in rugby, you're talking about maybe eight countries minimum in Ireland are in that strong category. So for us to be expecting to be England is nothing kind of new. But overall, in general, what do you make of them points kind of, uh, met by Robbie, and for someone who's been caused, probably heard this debate going back as far back as the 70s and 80s. Yeah, I, I, I probably find it unhelpful to be honest, Ger, because I, I, I never heard of Robbie talking about anything in the context of Irish football, uh, or Regina Doherty for that matter. And I, I think some of it comes from people who have a desire to see one country on this island and then just see, oh, yeah, we want one one team. I mean, the difference in rugby is there was never a, a breakaway or a split. I mean, in uh, it's always been one team on the island. It might actually be uncomfortable for some people, but we do also play as the British and Irish Lions. And uh, in fact, for many years, it was known as the British Lions. But um, so I, I think this is very unhelpful. It's probably more of an issue for Andy and for the Northern Ireland fans because I know it's a, a very hot, hot and uh, hot topic for them. Uh, I suppose most of us in the Republic wouldn't have any objection to an All Ireland team, but I don't think realistically it's going to happen, and uh, I don't think it's something that there's uh, any real desire for, uh, certainly among the the Northern Ireland fans. And uh, you can make the point about in rugby that the Ireland rugby team is in the top 
eight, say, was briefly, briefly best in the world. And yeah, I am a big rugby fan, but um, it is totally different. And there are only about 10 or 11 countries that compete in world rugby at the highest level anyway. So it's not as great an achievement as it, as it sounds. And the reality is an all an all island football team wouldn't be significantly better than either of the the current sides. Yeah, and we're bringing you in kind of here. I suppose the main reason, I suppose, we feel that a politician from down here is bringing it up is because we've probably, in many ways, reached a kind of a new low, or certainly one of our lowest points of that recent defeat against Luxembourg. And it very much is the view that we're in a transition under Stephen Kenny. But you also have a new manager, Neen Barraclough, taken over from Michael O'Neill, which was a very successful period. And similar to Stephen, it has been a rough ride so far for Ian. I know he had that playoff victory against Bosnia back in October, but another Nations League campaign, which was winless, I touched on as well, two winless games so far from your World Cup campaign, albeit that draw against Bulgaria, but that was seen as a disappointment. What is the feeling so far of the Ian Barraclough reigns uh, in Northern Ireland from their point of view? Uh, I think it's uh, performances have, have been encouraging under Barclough so far. And, um, you know, we saw a, maybe a slight bit of a decline on the in the later Michael O'Neill years. Obviously, we had the uh, the brilliant Euro 2016 campaign. Both both nations had that. And then we had a, we went in a superb run in, in 2018 as well to get to the playoff final. And uh, we're fortunately undone by a, a, a scandalous decision in the end um, with a handball on Corey Evans. And, and then came the, the Euro 2020 qualifying campaign where... Yes, we had Germany and Holland in the group, but I think there was a there was a feeling amongst Northern Ireland fans that maybe for players like Steve Davis, who's now thirty six, for you know Johnny Evans, Craig Cathcart, these linchpins of the side, um, and and Hughes and McCauley who have, who have retired, uh, there was a feeling that they were being phased out, and uh, and it was a case of whether players coming through like uh, like Stuart Dallas and Paddy McNair can really take the mantle of those players and become those senior linchpins in our side. So I think Barraclough coming in. The idea was he did so well with the under twenty ones, and we came second in our in our Euro twenty nineteen qualifying group. I think it was and um, beat Spain away from home, which uh, you know anyone who kind of follows under twenty one football knows you've Spain just don't lose games. They win tournaments pretty much every year. The players coming through like like Mayoral and uh, and Fornals who were playing in La Liga at the time, compared to the likes of Shane Lafferty and Gavin White who were playing in the Irish leagues. So, um, he, like he did such an incredible job, and I think the idea is that you know over the next two or three years. The likes of Davis, the likes of Cathcart, uh, and others will be, and Lafferty as well, will be phased out, and it's on him to bring through the likes of Lafferty and and White and Galbraith McCalman. Maybe this campaign's a little bit too too soon for them, but certainly in the future. And I think he just needs to be given that bit of time. As I say, performances were were good in Italy. Actually, second half we were fantastic and um, had a lot of the ball, showed a lot of bravery for Northern Ireland side. Usually, two 0 down at half time, and Northern Ireland sides of the past would be thinking. Let's just not get hammered here. Damage limitation. Uh, but we came out and had actually had the better of the chances second half. And and Bulgaria, it was just one of those frustrating nights. They, they're they always going to come and pack 10 men behind the ball. We had chances. We probably did enough to win one or two nil. Um, but in the end, it just didn't quite fall for us. And that seems to be the um, the the pattern under Barclough. Things don't seem to be quite falling for us so far. But I do have confidence that we can pick up some wins in this campaign. And, uh, and then looking towards the next Nations League, uh, which, of course, we're in League C, which in theory provides a, a clearer pathway to Euro 2024, as it will be. Um, you know, we have to look at that and think I'll, I'll, I'll kind of judge him then. But, yeah, so far, it's just a bit of bad luck, I think, is... It's a prevailing, prevailing sense among Northern Ireland fans. 
Yeah, just kind of another thing as well, Gary, like when we talk about like it's there's a lot of complications if we were to get behind an all Ireland team. Like you have to talk about like where are you going to play games? Is it going to be Windsor? Is it going to be Dublin? There's a strong case for both games. I know for both grounds, I know EV was a bigger stadium. You have situations surrounding the flag, national anthem, stuff like that. But a big thing as well, I kind of think, I think both countries for small countries can point towards is proud history and proud tradition. We've both been to three World Cups. We're both at the last European Championships as well. We were always at Euro 2012. I think we obviously know, certainly since Jack Charlton's time, maybe the exception of the Stephen Staunton era and the last campaign on the trap. We've always been at least competitive with there, thereabouts of qualifying. And Northern Ireland can kind of point towards the same as Andy touched on there. They weren't far away from qualifying for Euro 2020. Should have made, could have made, or should have or could have, whatever way you want to look at, made the 2018 World Cup. Had that bad luck totally against Switzerland. Even the second leg played very well over there. And you can even go back as far as your 2008 couple of bad results against Iceland and Latvia probably cost you qualifying for that tournament. And even in 2010 World Cup qualifiers, you bet Poland through a Czech Republic. So there's even that kind of point of view that like both sides can point that we actually can compete on our own. Yeah, I mean, the other thing to remember, Jeremy, is actually we broke away. The FAI actually broke away from the IFA uh, actually, even before the, it is, it's the centenary of the FAI, and uh, it's probably also the centenary of Northern Ireland. But the IFA has been around since 1880, and the FAI actually broke away before. Uh, I don't want to get into the politics too much, but actually before partition. So I mean, effectively, what was then the the Leinster Association, because uh, most of the football uh, was was run in, in in what is now the Republic of Ireland was run out of Leinster. So the Leinster FA actually broke away prior to partition, and uh, it, it basically the, the the independence, the War of Independence. I'm not too too au fait with my Irish history, but the War of Independence happened after that, and the Republic of Ireland, what became the Republic of Ireland, was was formed after that. So in theory, you would have to argue if there was to be any sort of a team, I, I, there is no way the FAI are going to go 100 years later, go crawling back and say, sorry, we made a mistake. Please take us back or anything like that. So it would be it would be probably a very different argument. But I, I, I don't see I, I just don't see it happening. I don't see anything in the, the football authorities to any um, impetus there to create one team. And, and as you mentioned, you'd have all the issues about flags and anthems and everything like that. And even in rugby, that's a little bit contentious because when Ireland play in the Aviva, they okay, they play Ireland's call and they fly the four, four provinces flag, but they also play Oran Avian or the Soldier Song and fly the tricolour. Whereas in other sports that are in all-Ireland bases like hockey or cricket, I know there's no... Um, no symbols of the Republic of Ireland, so they just use. I know hockey just use Ireland's call, and just use a, an Ireland hockey union flag. And uh, in cricket, again, it's uh, again it's all Ireland, but it's very careful to just use um, neutral symbols. Uh, in fact, in the past, in rugby up until 1954, when Ireland played in Ra home games in Raven Hill. The, the anthem used was God Save the Queen and the Union Jack was flown. And in theory, that was meant to happen for the game in 2007 against Italy, but the IRFU designated as an away game, which I know caused, raised some hackles north of the border as well. So um, 
yeah, there's huge issues around flags, anthems, everything like that. But I don't think there's any great impetus there to to create an all-Ireland team. It's just something for some politicians to spout mm. off about. And to be honest, I, I'm not aware of that senator uh, having much interest in, in football or having making any case to get Monaghan United back in the League of Ireland or anything like that, um, which I would hope uh, they're sadly missed from my perspective. I'd love to see them back. And uh, there's a fine ground there in Monaghan Town, and maybe that's what they should be focused on. Yeah, I think we'd like to see any team like that that went out of the league come back in. And I think, as you said, like I'm not even familiar with that senator's name before, but I think it could be just a quick case if he switched on the television on that Saturday evening against Luxembourg and just seeing all Jesus Irish footballs in a dire state. But we know like it, it goes back further than that and there's more issues and that this result was kind of a small bit on the cards and it wasn't overly unsurprised. I thought yeah, you listen, there, listen guys, if you if you need any sort of group therapy about losing to Luxembourg, <laughs> I'm your man. You know, seven years ago they they actually took four points off us, so you can still aim for not being as bad as us that campaign. <laughs> it also worries me as well. I think Azerbaijan took four points off you that campaign, yeah. and we have them coming up as well. But you did take a point in Lisbon, so that's keeping me optimistic for a set. Yeah, I'll beat Russia as well. But yeah, I'll, so I'll be, they're not in the group, but yeah. With the, the equivalent of Serbia, we might beat them in the Aviva <laughs> yeah, well. as well. But I touched on it there, Andy, like despite the fact we are like you know a small island and we have two football teams on that but we both have great traditions like we touched on we've made three world cups you made three world cups even before that like two of them under billy bingham's days like the jack charlton days are just so revered and lived in this country and like for someone like me having to listen to like gary who was around experience that it kind of almost kind of sad and kind of depresses me a small bit like for someone like yourself probably a similar age but background profile too young to remember them heavy days of the 80s for Northern Ireland football are they still kind of like cherished in the same way as we look back at the Jack Charlton days here yeah definitely I think because the you know obviously there was there's a 1958 World Cup which I don't think anyone really uh or certainly it's a very small proportion of people who are still alive remember that and then you've got people who grew up with the 82 and the 86 sides and then there was like what a 30 year wait uh, until Euro 2016, and to be fair, I grouped the whole sort of six years under Michael O'Neill uh, into that into those kind of glory days idea. Um, you know, coming second in a group involving you know the Czech Republic, um, given uh, given everything against you know, Germany and Holland as well, it, it really was such a such an amazing six years. So you know, from my perspective, I'm 22, um, and I kind of grew up. Yes, I saw the wins against England, the wins against Spain, but also the years under kind of. Um, Nigel Worthington as well and early days of Michael O'Neill where you know I'd go into school and, and chat to my mates after for example the Luxembourg game or the Azerbaijan game and we'd sort of think like will we will we ever see Northern Ireland at a major tournament again they were genuine genuine conversations we were having and um, so I think for for us um, for people my age and really for anyone under the age of 40 or so um that those Michael O'Neill years were the, the you know the Billy Bingham days were the 82 86 World Cup um that you know the the Jerry Armstrong Pat Jennings Norman Whiteside that like those players for us now um that that is what it is for our for our fathers and grandfathers and stuff so yeah I'd say absolutely um they are still revered in that way and you know we've got a we've got a team now or had a team in the last two three years who could be compared to that and that's kind of almost the, the greatest compliment you can give that side so yeah, I think um, you know going forward, it's you know you met, you touch on uh, the fact that obviously the, the the senators brought this up after after the the Luxembourg defeat, and listen, it's the exact same up in Northern Ireland here. Every time, kind of both teams lose a game or are underperforming slightly, 
it's always gets brought up. It's always debated the next morning. It's kind of like a bit of a, a bit of a boring debate on here because you, you'll turn on BBC Radio Ulster and you'll just get the worst of both sides going at each other, and it's it's an embarrassment. Whereas you know, on here, obviously, we can have a, a bit of a genuine debate about it. But I mean, Gary, you mentioned the rugby team there, and I think it's interesting because you know there there's a lot of people who talk about the success of the Irish rugby team, and I support the Irish rugby team, of course. Um, I think why you know. Yeah, we can make the point about about the the fact that there's only like seven or eight serious contenders, but also you know it's um, they're a, they're a side who, who who has overachieved. I think to be fourth in the world, even though as I say the standard of rugby is not the same as the standard of football worldwide. It, to be fourth in the world is such an incredible achievement, but I don't think that that's that success could possibly be replicated in the football and um, a six nation tournament i mean i think it was it's only become six nations fairly recently it was five and four before that so you're gonna have periods of success in an annual tournament um with only six nations especially when one of those is italy really who never really compete and um there's always one or two teams like i think you know, scotland going through a little bit of a lull at the moment there's always one or two teams that uh, aren't really competing so you know you're talking about if you're if you're going through a purple patch of rugby and um, you're competing against three maybe four maximum nations every year so you're gonna have some sort of success and that's not to take away um from what the irish rugby team have done and um, but in a, in world cups i don't think we've got past the quarterfinal, um, as I say, with only eight or nine serious contenders. So there is a is kind of a question mark as to whether this incredible success that the Irish rugby team have seen and gets debated all the time around the football, whether it's it's quite that. But you look at both our teams at the minute, you guys maybe have around a, a low-level Premier League to Championship side. I'd say we have a Championship-level side with a couple of Premier League players, but it's balanced out by uh, some League One players up front. So... Would an All-Ireland team, in theory, would it give us any more uh, strength? Possibly. It would give us a bit more depth. But the overall level of the team, there's still going to be no superstars. There's still going to be lacking a bit of attacking quality. Um, and neither team would would still be great in either box, which I think is a big problem with Northern Ireland at the moment. So, um, I mean, I can, well, I'm sure we'll get on to the kind of idea whether I'd like to whether I'd like to see it or not. But even from purely a quality and sporting point of view, I'm not sure it would make a massive difference, as Gary says. Yeah, even just like, to touch on it there, like we're to join the two teams together now, Gary. I kind of find that like we'd have top heavy competition for defence, and then after that, like it's you know slim pickings because defence is kind of where we're both very very strong. Like you could have genuine debates over who starts on the left hand side between Jamal Lewis and Enda Stevens, possibly draw throw, throw Stuart Dallas in a conversation. Although I know he plays on the right for an ordinary and left hand side for for Leeds, but again, like if that situation, you could have Dallas Doherty Coleman. You're looking at centre back partnership like Evans, Catcart, very solid for Northern Ireland. We've the likes of Coleman is slightly in the right centre back. Uh, John Egan when he's fit, Dow O'Shea has been really impressive. So like it's kind of almost a case of like if we were to join the two teams together, it's almost now just adding to both teams' current strengths. Like Andy's touched on there, putting the ball in the back, and that's been a major problem for them. We we know exactly how much of a big problem that is for us. Yeah, I mean it's it's the, the even though we got the the couple of goals in Serbia and scored one against Qatar, I I think that is the the bulk of our problems and that was maybe the, the option. It's not just actually putting the ball in the net; it's creating the chances as well. And uh, if you look back at the the Northern Ireland side, and Andy touched on the fantastic success they had under Michael O'Neill. Um, there's probably a feeling that maybe it just got away. If you go back to that playoff against Switzerland, and yes, they were undone by an absolutely disgraceful refereeing decision, but they still failed to score in the playoff over 180 minutes. And uh, 
uh, if you if you go into the I know Northern Ireland actually came a lot closer than us to qualifying for Euro 2020 and that went to extra time in the playoff final against Slovakia. I think if I remember rightly, they, they hit the post because we were playing in Wembley at the same time, but uh, Northern Ireland hit the post, which would have won it. But again, in extra time, they they couldn't find the, the winning goal and Slovakia got the winner. So, yeah, I don't, I, I don't think actually a, a, a combined team would be that particularly much stronger but I actually think a lot of the opposition and, and most of it almost all of it would, would be from Northern Ireland but would be about the whole identity of the Northern Ireland team being being taken away effectively and uh, I, I suppose maybe I'll get Andy to talk about this more but I've actually gone to quite a few of the games in Windsor Park and there is or, or the National Stadium, as I should call it now. I know that's even the name is now a debate <laughs> between Glen Torn and Linfield fans, but uh, indeed, <laughs> I, I still know it as Windsor Park. But um, uh, it, 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 the, the one thing that has been kept in the new stadium is the fantastic atmosphere that the Northern Ireland fans have managed to create, and the Green and White Army do bring. Uh, fantastic noise and fantastic atmosphere. It's something actually we probably lacked in a lot of games in the Aviva. And uh, we have a fantastic atmosphere when we play away from home and fantastic away support, but probably not so good at home. Whereas uh, if you go to nearly any Northern Ireland home game, there is the, the stadium's absolutely rocking. It's quite a small capacity, um, less than 20,000, but... Uh, when it's full, it's absolutely rocking, and uh, I think that helped to get some some amazing results in recent years. Andy touched on the wins over England, and he must have been very young at those with David Healy and the. the I was sent to bed at half time, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, okay. not better with that. Yeah. <laughs> I was actually I was actually at the Spain game uh, okay. when David Healy got the hat trick, which was mm. absolutely unbelievable. That was obviously in the old stadium, but even in the the new stadium, there's. Uh, br brilliant atmosphere and even in the last last campaign uh, the, the Dutch were denied winning the group uh, because uh, Northern Ireland managed to hold them to scoreless draw in, in the national stadium Yeah and that, that, that game actually was um, that, that was kind of like Obviously, in in European Championship qualifying, it goes on head to head rather than what what is his goal difference in the in World Cup qualifying, and we kind of worked it out. You know, the eternal optimists. We kind of worked out, you know, if we can just beat Estonia and Belarus home and away, which we did in the end. That they turned out to be our first four fixtures. Uh, if we could just do that and say either Germany take full points against Holland or Holland take full points against Germany, we worked out that we could create a kind of playoff scenario. And albeit actually uh, Germany and Holland beat each other away from home, uh, we still worked out that if we took four points from from the Netherlands that, that we could qualify, which sounds you know ridiculous, but we were 1-0 up in Rotterdam until the 80th minute. Josh McGuinness came off the bench and, uh, and put us one up. So we were in a situation where, uh, you know, if we'd just held on for 10 minutes there, they ended up winning 3-1. Um, that draw at Windsor Park would have actually qualified us for the Euros ahead of Holland. So when you look back now and you see the likes of Germany, who, well, Germany, we all know their defeat to North Macedonia, and they've been in the, you know, kind of on a, a downward spiral, I think, for a few years. I think um, media and supporters over there are, are quite uh, disenfranchised what Joachim Love's doing, and, and Holland as well, who got hammered by Turkey and seemed to be, I mean, they didn't qualify for two or three tournaments in, in a row at one point. So when you look back at that now, you know, we were actually a lot closer than we thought, and maybe, you know, it was a, bit of an opportunity missed for another one of those giant killings. But yeah, for, for, for those five minutes, we were 1-0 up in, in Rotterdam. We're the best five minutes of my life, I think. <laughs> 
<laughs> Even better than Leon in 2016 when you bet uh, well, well, Ukraine. Well, I'm talking about sort of short-term happiness that was cut off yeah. straight away. You know, that was <laughs> the Kings of Leon. That was that was about a week long, um, a week long high. Whereas for for the McGuinness goal, we're, we're pegged back and brought back down to our straight away. But uh, yeah, do you, just for for Northern Ireland even be kind of competing at that level or or just uh, just to have big games is what we we always talk about as Northern Ireland fans. We're not going to get to to every tournament. We're not going to get to the vast majority of tournaments. But to have big games at Windsor Park and to get excited and to believe. Um, is, is what we aim for, which is why the, the kind of Bulgaria thing and what is most likely um, a campaign over is so disappointing. Yeah, we know about short-term happiness as well, going back to November <laughs> 2017, and we know how that bad is. <laughs> yeah, well, we don't talk about November 2017, come on. No, that was a bad week in general. Just yeah, kind of maybe we, we, can't, we can't blame the referee, though, Jarvis. <laughs> no, we can't. We can blame Christian Eriksen, though, maybe. <laughs> But just maybe one last point I might just talk about maybe before we go into kind of maybe talk about combined 11s or who would make the Republic of Ireland team from Northern Ireland and vice versa. Just kind of like the buy-in from, from the fans because maybe because it's just the tradition and history, there is a there with, with rugby, even like look at the cricket team, the hockey team, like especially the women's hockey team, what they achieved getting to a World Cup final a couple of years ago. Cricket team making three World Cups in a row, beating England, West Indies, Pakistan, phenomenal achievements. And like it seemed to get the buy-in of the whole nation. Like with football, everyone kind of just think back to like, well, it's only two and a half years ago, Republic of Ireland fans booed God Save the Queen at the Aviva Stadium. But you do think back to the great days of the summer of 2016, and both sets of fans were given the Medal of Paris for their behaviour. And the people of France just identified all of us as just one, as just people from Ireland, as Irish. And I was there, Gary was there. I'm not sure if you were there, Andy, but... you mixed me A-levels. Yeah, so <laughs> you're a bit too young. But we mixed yeah. with people from all nations and like that included northern ireland fans and it was just pure genuine good fun good crack good banter like there was n nothing kind of like in terms of like you know history or anything else like that do you think that like that is a sign that like we are now moving forward and that we can kind of get on that that is that's the way to look forward and not like the small minority that kind of let, let us down i felt embarrassed that day in the aviva when we booed god save the queen yeah, I think the that that night in the Aviva it was unpleasant for both anthems. It was always going to be that way. I always think I know FIFA stipulate you have to you have to have an anthem played, but uh, it would have been a lot easier just to just to get on with the football. I think um, in in Euro twenty sixteen, yeah, both fans got along incredibly. We both, as you say, got incredibly good media coverage for how we got along with each other and and other supporters there. And I think. Um, was it in Nice? Were, were you guys maybe playing in Nice second or third game? Or there was a reason there were some Republic of Ireland fans in Nice at one point. That's where we played our first game, our defeat to Poland. And, you know, all the fans were out drinking on the street, enjoying things together. And it was actually, from what I hear, obviously I wasn't there, but it was actually a group of uh, 20, 25 local French hooligans who tried to cause a bit of trouble. And everyone just kind of told them to do one. Yeah, everyone kind of united behind it and said, listen, we're not about this here. You know, maybe 20, 30 years ago, whatever. But right now we're here, we're on holiday, we're watching our our teams playing a major tournament and we're enjoying ourselves and and and, and i think that's that is what it's what it's coming down to northern ireland fans will always say because uh, a lot of the time we have to travel out of dublin airport to get to uh, away games it's just easier and cheaper at times so you know there's never any problems down there and um, said the republic of ireland fans made the make the northern ireland fans feel very welcome chat to them about the football and i think it's just a it's really a minority of supporters up here on both sides so you've got the the kind of worst of both sides up here that cause the trouble i've never known any northern ireland supporters to have uh, any problems with 
Republic of Ireland supporters from down south. Uh, but there are a couple, you know, up here who maybe want to cause some trouble. And uh, as I say, absolutely equally on both sides. But just to, just to kind of, um, my overarching point on why I wouldn't want it, and Gary's kind of um, touched on it and you have as well there, Jerry, is it's the identity thing. And, you know, for years in Northern Ireland, without getting too political, but I think you do have to a little bit uh, with this uh, with this kind of debate is for years, you know, you were either British or you were Irish um, and there was no in between. You had to be kind of staunchly on either side of that. Whereas, I mean, I'm not speaking for all Northern Ireland fans here by any stretch of the imagination, but for me uh, and certainly a lot of my friends who, who go to the games and support Northern Ireland, we very much see ourselves as, as Northern Irish. Uh, I wouldn't see myself as British personally or Irish. Um, so, for example, I... You know, at the rugby, I wouldn't sing Ireland's Call because I'm not, don't consider myself necessarily Irish, but I also don't sing God Save the Queen at the football. I think it's, it's long overdue, um, since Northern Ireland should have their own specific anthem the way that, that Wales and Scotland do. And for one reason, it's, it's just, it's just, uh, it's just a boring dirge of an anthem. Uh, that's my first issue with it. But, uh, but also I think on a, on a level, you know, I, 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 it's uncomfortable, I think, for the, the Catholic and nationalist players playing for Northern Ireland. Um, you know the likes of 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 White and and McGinn and you know going back a few years you've got uh, Armstrong and and um, and Pat Jennings and players like that and Jim Magilton. So I would love something that you know Northern Ireland fans can all sing. Uh, it's a Northern Ireland specific anthem and both sides of the divide can be can be happy and can link arms and and can sing it with pride. So that's my that's my kind of that's the only real thing. The anthem's the only real thing for me that doesn't that doesn't feel right about Northern Ireland. You know I'm. They feel like my lads. They feel like my team. They feel like the you know the the guys from my my wee part of the world, which which go on the international stage and overperform. So, you know, for me, it's just a it's just a question of 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 identity. Yes, a lot of people will say the team could be slightly stronger, and you know, you guys talk about November twenty seventeen there when Northern Ireland were very close and would having a couple of extra Premier League players, the likes of Robbie Brady or whoever was around the team at the time, would having them in the Northern Ireland team could that have maybe pushed us over the line? Possibly, but. I think you're splitting hairs, and for most tournaments, which uh, which neither team really come close to qualifying for, um, I don't think it would make a big difference at all. But yeah, for me, it's just uh, it's just a case of like, I think even for you guys as well, I've heard a lot of Republic of Ireland supporters say that um, the team is representative of all 32 counties anyway, with some players who've maybe deflect, uh, defected down south. So even from a nationals point of view, I think you know you've got a team down there that represents you, uh, and we've got a team up here that, that that represents us. And I think the the sooner we can just accept that and and, and move forward with it, and uh, and you listen, you know, Windsor Park's come so far in the last 20 years of the amalgamation and the football for all campaign. That's just pretty much stamp sectarianism completely out of it, which is which is great. And I think. Um, you know, that game in 2017, aside from the anthems, which are always going to be a bit messy, I think, um, aside from that, you know, I think there was, uh, there was a bit of banter between both sets of fans, but ultimately it was a, it was a good occasion and, and, and a decent enough game. I think from our perspective, I think we had the better of that game, even, even though we didn't win it. But yeah, for me, it's, 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 it's just a case of that. It's not like, a, as I say, I do support the, the Ireland rugby team. Um, but, in the same way that I would support Team GB at the Olympics, you know, I'll sit there and I'll want them to win, but I could never have the same affinity for it uh, as I do for a Northern Ireland team. Uh, and that's that's just, just the way I, I feel and, and my identity, and I can't really help that. So it's definitely not like an anti-Irish or an anti-British thing. It's just I see myself as Northern Irish, and, I, and that's where my pride is in, in sport with, with Northern Irish athletes and, and Northern Irish teams. Yeah, that's friendly in 28. This is the IFF TV Podcast. We just want to take a quick break to speak about our sponsors for this video and podcast, Team VP. As you can see in the image here, 
some of the clubs that Team Fipe has acquired, Shamrock Rovers being the main one so far. Team Fipe is an easy to use online payment platform that covers management and administration, finance, club development, communication, governance and COVID track and trace. Club administrators save hours of time with Team Fipe, save time on administration and finance. You can quickly confirm, decline and record attendance at club sessions and events. With a new database created, parents and players register with the system which in turn creates and builds a player database for the club. Team groups can be easily set up for easy access to data. Real-time transaction updates. Team FIPE keeps club administrators or team managers updated on processed payments but also flags up incomplete transactions and automatically emails the payee to give notice of a future attempt. Team FIPE already works with over 1,000 leagues, clubs and academies and are growing all the time. Team FIPE is proud to be helping clubs across multiple sports. Team FIPE is free to use, it's free to install by all of their members. There are no hidden fees, there is no sign up fee, no annual fee and no monthly membership fee. The processing fee, Team FIPE charge a very modest fee for any financial transaction that they process similar to the bank or other credit card processor fees. Book your Zoom demo today at teamfeepay.com or call on plus 353 This is the IFF TV podcast. Yeah, that friendly in 2018, Darren Randolph was very much our man of the match, so you should have really yeah. won it. Gary, we, 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 still we still haven't forgotten Jordan Jones' mess that night. So. <laughs> uh, Gary, you just wanted to get in there with something as well. Yeah, it's more, I'm um, sorry, just losing my train of thought there. But um, Andy, do you, do you see many of the younger people uh, supporting England? Because I remember uh, famously for the David Healy game, Billy Hutchinson talking about he'd support England rather than Northern Ireland. And uh, they're, they're maybe losing their British identity by playing in green shirts with a Celtic cross on the, the badge or something like that. Um would would many of would many of the young people in Northern Ireland support England, particularly when England are relatively speaking so successful at the moment? No, definitely not. Um, absolutely not. I mean, I you know, as I say, when I, I mentioned earlier about like debates the next morning on BBC Radio Ulster or whatever, you will get the odd you know people from both extremes kind of talking about oh, I support England, I support the motherland, and they feel like that's. Uh, it's, it's kind of like the idea, um, I think a lot of the older generation uh, for, on club football would always support the British teams in, in Europe, whereas that's, that's something I don't identify with at all personally. And, um, you know, I I really enjoy seeing England get beat. I really, really do. I think it's hilarious every summer how they build themselves up. Um, I think they've got a team now who, who really should be competing for the European Championships, but I think the, the kind of typical English conservatism and pragmatism is, uh, for example, not selecting Trent Alexander-Arnold. I think that's what's ultimately going to kill them. And I, I'll, I'll be in Join. I want to do so, but no, definitely not. None of my mates support England. Um, it's like, I, as I say, I wouldn't. I'm not bothered about Wales or Scotland either. I wouldn't support the Republic of Ireland at a tournament. I'm, I wouldn't necessarily, you know, cheer against them. It's just I'd be neutral, kind of the way I would uh, any other game. But no, um, like as as for England and, and supporting English teams, it's, it's it's not for me. My only quandary. I'm a big Liverpool supporter, so you know when I'm watching uh, Trent and Jordan Henderson go, I, I don't want to see them. Um, you know, gutted, and obviously it means a lot to those guys as well. So sometimes I sort of think, you know, I wouldn't mind if they if they do well, just from the perspective of I'd love to see, for example, Jordan Henderson lift the World Cup. Um, but apart from that, in terms of like an identity thing, no, absolutely not. As the a, other as thing, a other Liverpool the, fan myself, Andy, uh, I don't think we might have to worry about Trent Alexander-Arnold at the Euros after last night. No, 
Well, yeah, I know. Although he did, he did. Um, there was a point where he makes a very good defensive intervention as well. So I, I think, I think he absolutely. You know, I think it's it's crazy and it's very indicative of I said the English pragmatism that they're favouring kind of defensive solidity, which I think is massively uh, overplayed with Trent. His defensive abilities, I think, it's I think he is a good defender. It's just he's so good going forward that people think he must kind of have this serious weakness, but. Um, I think that will ultimately play into it. They're a, they're a conservative side. They've got these incredible players, but ultimately they'd rather play like an English side. What's the, the what was the the title of the Rafa Honigstein book? Is better, faster, stronger, or something? And it always has been about kind of physicality and and pragmatism for England, which I think will kill them in the end because uh, other nations are simply better technically. One more thing, Andy, I'd just like to touch on because uh, you mentioned the all the great work the amalgamation and everything have done. And I know you're dead right. There's a fantastic neutral atmosphere in Windsor Park. And uh, it's certainly very welcoming and not a problem. I've had my kids and all up there at games and no problem. I've actually brought other people from the Republic up and they've all been amazed at, uh, at, at the passion as well and the noise. But one concern I have is if we did meet and if we did meet, hopefully, and we'll have full full crowds back at games soon. If we did meet in a in a competitive game, I I just have concern about all the everything that could get dragged up and people go back to the days. And no, no, I was at the games in the nineties and the eighties, and I think, frankly, I think they were overblown. It was nowhere near as bad as was uh, reported in the media. But having said that, uh, there certainly was quite a bit of sectarianism. And I, I wonder, would it set back the reputation of both sets of fans if we were to meet, particularly in a crucial competitive game? I think, uh, you know, the media on both sides is always going to kind of jump on any sort of negativity. Um, you know, you, uh, Jerry mentions about booing God Save the Queen. We've maybe got a slight problem. The only thing I could say is that uh, at some points in the in the national anthem, a very small minority of Northern Ireland fans will sing No Surrender. Um, and what I always say with that is, you know, it's the instrumental part of the anthem, so nobody's singing. So a hundred clowns singing that is going to sound really loud on television. But for 99% of the of the fan base, they're not singing that. They're 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 being respectful and they're staying quiet. And I actually think it's disrespectful to the national anthem to be to be singing that in the middle of it. But it's things like that. It's it's minor things like that that represent less than half a percentage of of supporters that could that could bring it up. But ultimately, I don't think that's that's you know a reason kind of not to play it. I'm always very. Um, I never really want to draw the Republic of Ireland, first of all, because it would just absolutely second me if you beat us in a competitive game. But also um, from the perspective of like there would just be a media circus around it and and I can't really be bothered with that. I was glad that we played Slovakia in the final just because I felt like we were, we were well, I feel like we are the better team than Slovakia. And I just felt, you know, with being Slovakia, not the Republic of Ireland, it would just be based on football unless external factors would be taken out of it. So that was it from a football point of view. I think a, a competitive game at Windsor Park, um, what I would say, the very few negative stories that have come out about Northern Ireland fans over the last five or six years have been, for example, I think there was a friendly um, against South Korea. Uh, we played in maybe 2018, and there were a couple of fans filmed singing uh, alternative lyrics to Sweet Caroline. And I think they, um, I think the thing with that is, like on a on a normal Windsor Park day, when you've got you know what's 16,000 campaign card holders it's pretty much the same supporters in there uh week or not weekend week out it's international football but you know what i mean every game um and you you never you never ever see that you really never see that and you know i'm sure there are um 
Northern Ireland supporters in the ground who who hold who hold these views, but it's very much self policing at Windsor Park. It's you know if somebody shouts something like that, you'll have ten people around you saying, "Oh, you know, cut it out. We don't do that here." And um, so I think for a competitive game, that's the first thing you have to factor in. For those friendlies, anyone can get a ticket. Very often the Windsor Park isn't even sold out, so you know anyone can come along. Um, have a load of pints beforehand and say, you know, say something ridiculous and, and, and everyone will jump on that. But for the vast majority, I mean, it's, I'd say there's less than a thousand tickets go on general sale at Windsor Park these days. I think there's, as I say, 14,000 or so campaign card holders. And then there's an official membership scheme as well, um, which, uh, which pretty much gives you priority. Um, and you're paying a little bit more, but it's pretty much like a campaign card, whereas you can get any, you know, where you can get any, uh, get tickets to whichever game you like. So it's very much like the same supporters coming to Windsor Park every game uh, it's very much the it's 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 very few um kind of new supporters who can really get on the ladder and get a ticket and that frustrates a lot of people but it definitely means that we get that constant support and we get that uh, you know with a very sound fan base at the moment and and that's not really going to alter and anyone who does come in or maybe sneaks a ticket and tries to start any of that nonsense will just be shut down straight away I've seen it I've seen it at Windsor Park and, uh, and I'm sure it's only going to keep going in that direction which I think is great yeah, yeah it's fantastic. One. Just if 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 we were to meet, though, I'd just be concerned that that element that would have no interest in going to watch Northern Ireland, even in a major finals, would suddenly try and want to go and uh, just cause trouble or just shout abuse. And well, yeah. hopefully, as you say, they won't be able to get tickets. But even for the game down in Dublin, uh, I know um, it, it was only on sale to campaign card holders. Again, you know, literally, even if there were empty seats. Or um or whatever, literally nobody else could get a ticket apart from campaign card holders. So I think the IRF, the IFA are very aware of that issue. They're very aware that the supporters we have in at the moment are the supporters we want to keep. Um and therefore, you know, it's if if new supporters are being let in. And you do want, you know, for example, young supporters who, who have never had the chance to build up loyalty points, you do want them to come into the ground, but it does have to be managed in the sense that we don't want a, a huge influx of, of of those people you're talking about. And I think the the way they're doing it right now, um, I think you'd see I think you'd see you wouldn't see really too many problems with it. I mean, I, I quite enjoyed the uh, in the friendly. I, uh, I wasn't at the game. I was actually living over in France at the time. But I was watching it on my laptop, and uh, I think James McLean maybe wasn't having his best game that night. And I think the Northern Ireland fans were saying, and he's one of our own, which I thought was fantastic. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, banter like that—that's exactly what you want. It's a rivalry. It's uh, it's two nations very close together. It's no different from England, Wales, and um, Belgium, Netherlands, whatever. You go on with this all day, but. Yeah, I think that's as, as long as it, is, as it is just that. And the vast, vast majority of supporters on both sides want it to be just that. Yeah, as long as we see kind of more banter, just touched on like that, and the equivalent of the scenes of summer 2016 is definitely starting to head in the right direction, get away from the days of the 80s and 90s. Just kind of one last thing might touch on this before we go into the All-Island League debate. It's just kind of maybe instead of doing a, a combined 11, because we'll probably be here until the next international <laughs> window in the summer debating, but this is definitely, I think, where we're going to see our biases shine through and a bit bit of debate properly between us. Myself and Gary were chatting about this kind of off-air, and we were kind of making out Stuart Dallas, Jamal Lewis, Johnny Evans, and Stephen Davis would be the four players that we would put from the Northern Ireland team against yeah. the Republic team. You could have strong cases, as I touched on, for like Craig Cackard and Paddy McNair in particular, I think are two players possibly a little bit harsh to miss out on. 
you're uh, obviously going to have a completely different view on this, Andy, so you might as well get straight into it. <laughs> well, first of all, I definitely wouldn't have Craig Cathcart in the team. Anyone who listens to my podcast knows that I'm, I'm not a big fan at all, it's fair to say, but uh, is that something we can agree on? But yeah, I, I drew it up. Obviously, we're not going to do the combined 11s, but I drew up a, three, a very biased 3-5-2 and a very biased 4-3-3 as well. So I think... Um, First of all, yeah, I'd absolutely agree on the four players you mentioned there. I think they they definitely get in the side, and there's a few Republic of Ireland players who are definitely in there as well. But uh, the goalkeeper's a, a bit of a tricky one because I think you guys have uh, Randolph, who's who's not playing Premier League football at the moment, or he's, he's on the bench, and Travers, and is it Bazunu? Bizu, uh, yeah. I'm of the name yeah. there. Um, yeah, both of them are playing in League One, whereas Peacock Farrell, although, albeit he's... Uh, he is um, on the bench for Burnley a week in, week out. He was playing championship football for a while and, and did quite well for Leeds for a period. And I think he could go down and play championship football. That could be his level. And he's given us some some great memories as a Northern Ireland fan. Recently, he's kind of tailed off a little bit, making a couple of mistakes, I'd say, due to not having that much sharpness. But I would probably just have him in there ahead of ahead of the Republic of Ireland keepers. But with a lot of these ones, we're, we're splitting hairs, aren't we? And uh and you know, you guys will will maybe slightly favour the, the Republic of Ireland choice. And would you um, have him ahead of a, a second choice Liverpool goalkeeper and Quevin Kelleher? Quevin Kelleher, yeah, no, I'm I'm a big fan of Kelleher. Um, and but again, we've only really seen three or four games from him, haven't we? Whereas Peacock Farrell, he's 24, he's got you know 50, 60 club appearances under his belt, whether it's for Leeds and and has I think maybe 25 international appearances as well. So yeah, I do rate him. I think. Keller has that potential, but uh, I'll, I'll favour Peacock Farrell for now, just because he, you know, I am a believer in him. I do think he he can get better. He's, um, I think Sean Dyche was saying he's he's been in the gym and he's got the same kind of physicality as what Nick Pope had uh, at the same age. So I do believe he can go forward and uh, and maybe and, and and be a great goalkeeper for Northern Ireland for the next ten years. Um, the other one is is McNair, and I was difficult because I was looking at the. Um, you know the Republic of Ireland midfielders, and you know maybe your your viewers will be laughing their heads off at me right now for not really knowing what I'm what exactly where I'm what I'm talking about with the Republic of Ireland team. But like Brady and Hurahan are two players I, I really like, especially Hurahan last season in the Premier League. I think his his delivery was absolutely wicked at times, and uh, and and that that bit of quality is is very often what Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland lack. And but what I would say about that is, um, you know, Davis obviously gets in, but you've got you've got Brady and who's I don't think playing really very much in the Premier League this season. He's been on the bench quite a bit for Burnley, uh, and you've Hurahan who's actually dropped down to the Championship, albeit on loan, and I think he's maybe out of contract this summer. Uh, whereas Paddy McNair's player, I think, is definitely going to be playing Premier League next season. He's absolutely got the capabilities. He will be 26, so he's coming into that uh, that age where he really has to take his career by the scruff of the neck now. But for a couple of seasons at, at Middlesbrough, he's been by far their best player playing either a back three or a central midfield role and when he plays for Northern Ireland he just does have that real attacking quality he's got the delivery he's got the pass he can win the the, the free kick and win the foul high up the pitch so I think you know again splitting hairs between them there but I'd have probably have Paddy McNair in just based on the fact that his career is going on that uphill trajectory whereas the other two are maybe on their way uh maybe well you might disagree but maybe on their way out of the Premier League at that at that level yeah, I think definitely McNair would have the age kind of profile maybe on someone like Brady. But I think age-wise, like he's still only 28, 29, so he's in that bracket where he's in his, his peak and his prime, but fitness just seems to be a major concern for him. And with Harahan now, I think he's turning 30, 31. And I think, I think you touched on there, he probably seems maybe a little bit more suited to the championship than the Premier League. He was excellent as well in his brief spell in the championship with Barnsley when they came up. That led to his move to Aston Villa, where he was a very, very good player there as well. Just kind of touch on there as well, Gary, two other players that 
I, I mentioned what we both mentioned off air, like Stuart Dallas, I think he's had a very good season with uh, Leeds in the Premiership, and Jamal Lewis, who's just recently fallen out of the Newcastle team, but still has played a lot of football this season with them and with Norwich as well. Anyone else kind of you might make a, a case for for Northern Ireland? Kyle Lafferty, obviously, is banging in the goals for Kilmarnock, but hasn't quite been doing it really for Northern Ireland for a good while. No, I think Kyle Lafferty's best days are probably behind him in in club football or even in a, in a Northern Ireland shirt as well. Uh, Jamal Lewis definitely he looks a, he looks a real talent, and, and Stuart Dallas just his work rate. Um, he, he just puts in so much effort and work rate, and he's very effective as well. He gets around the pitch so much, and uh, he's been a crucial player for Northern Ireland and for Leeds, as you say. So, I think both of them would have to find a place. I think Jamal Lewis might be injured actually. Is that correct? Maybe I'm wrong on that. Or is he just out of uh, yeah. He was he was injured for the first couple of internationals, but he plays a Bulgaria game, so I think he's back now. Okay. So um but somebody like him would I I think get in on, on the left hand side uh, has quite a bit of talent. And uh, possibly a couple for the future that uh, Andy touched on or Ethan Galbraith and uh, Daniel Ballard who potentially have uh, yeah. Could have long international careers, but it would be too early, I think, to pick them on an automatic, uh, an automatic combined side. Uh, we're both probably light on options up front. It's not as if there's anyone uh, screaming out saying they they have to be picked uh, from from either side. No, I, I mean, I've uh, in a three-five-two. I have got Connolly and Robinson up front. I think. Uh, well, unless yeah, we can look actually. Yeah. Yeah, unless we can play Chelsea every week, then <laughs> with that Robinson in all the time. But, um, yeah, I think for us, you know, all our players, albeit all of them offer something, even the likes of Kyle Lafferty and Josh McGuinness really offer that physical presence. And kind of like when you're playing international sides, they're not really used to coming up against that type of striker. And uh, Washington and White um, and Lafferty are kind of give you that, run the channels, give you that work rate and, and running in behind. But yeah, ultimately, and um, they're all playing at League One level or Scottish Championship in the case of Liam Boyce. So yeah, I think yeah, even though you guys do have your problems in that department, um, it has to be the two the two Irish lads up front. But if we were going for a four three three, which is interesting, I think um, you know Seamus Coleman obviously gets in the team somewhere. Um, well, in a three five two, that would probably be in the in a back three, so I could put Dallas at right back. But in a four three three, gets that right back role and I push Dallas up into the right wing position so who would you guys go for maybe on the left then um i know we're neither of us are really blessed with incredible wingers um uh, i'd play Connolly on the left i mean Connolly can play up top as part of it too but when we play 4-3-3 i think he's the obvious option on the left for us as well um so he'd be he'd be my choice i know he's not had the the best of time but it lately with brighton but I still think there's a lot of talent there, and I think he will be around for a long time to come. Yeah, he's. Uh, I, I watched him kind of was it last season or two seasons ago when he came through, and he was very impressive. And I, I do really like him as a player. And one, one which I, which I'm actually going to unite Northern Ireland fans and Republic of Ireland fans against me here uh, is is actually Jordan Jones. I'm a massive fan of him. Um, I think since his move to uh, to Sunderland, albeit in League One, he's really been tearing it up there. And he's something. He's a player that maybe I would say the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland don't really have an equivalent of in the sense that he's that mercurial talent. He's He's got that ability to take a player on or beat a couple of men and put a put a cross in on either foot. So he's somebody I'm very excited about. Obviously, 
didn't really work out from it. Rangers, he's 26, 27 now, so he really has to kind of wise up and take his career by the scruff of the neck. But um, he would be an option for me on the left. I didn't even consider Connolly. I actually didn't realize he could play on the left. So um, maybe I'm, I'm wide of the mark with that one. But yes, for the Northern Irish bias, if I had to put somebody in the left wing, I'd go for, I'd go for JJ. You could you could do that, and then like you could play one of Robinson or Conley then down the middle, like with the yeah. experience from from. Club I've got Robin, I've got Robinson down the middle yeah. on, in the four three three. Yeah, so yeah, just even like from your own point of view, Gary touched on as well. Was um, the young guy that plays right back? What's his name again? With Blackpool. Oh, uh, uh, Daniel Ballard. But Daniel Ballard, and you touched on with Jones. They're like, albeit why they are playing League One level at the moment, both in respective clubs, Sunderland are not neck and neck for automatic promotion. Blackpool are on a good run for the playoffs. Yeah. There is a good chance they both will be playing championship football next season. That will raise yeah. their stock and raise their profile as well. Just kind of, we might move it on a small bit because we're kind of touching 50 minutes now. So we might try and keep it in around the hour mark or, or so. Just this, the talks as well of No Lion League have resurfaced. Obviously, last summer, the then 10 Premier Division clubs here in the uh, League of Ireland backed and uh, wrote proposals to the FEI. 10 of the 12 clubs in Northern Irish Premiership, they also were in favour. I think Dungannon and Cliftonville were the only ones that didn't. And then we've seen on Sunday morning the Belfast, Belfast Telegraph have an article saying that now the IFA, after rejecting a previous proposal from Kerry businessman Kevin, Kevin or Kieran uh, Ludic, have I said that right, uh, Gary? Kieran Lucid. Kieran Lucid. Lucid, sorry. Um, but now they've been kind of open proposal to uh, this idea from UEFA. I suppose first and foremost, Gary. I will get your thoughts and then what do you think yourself then, Andy? Yeah, my thoughts, I think this could be different to a national team, and particularly as UEFA are considering it in cross-border leagues and and something like Belgium and the Netherlands are talking about a joint league and there is talk of uh, some kind of an North Atlantic league with the Scandinavian countries and possibly Scotland. So... I mean, let's be be honest here. Both our leagues are in the bottom probably 15 or so in, in UEFA. And most most people on this island probably support a club across the water in England. I mean, Andy, and you're you're a Liverpool fan as well, Ger. Andy's already no, mentioned perhaps. he's a Liverpool a Liverpool fan as well. Um so I, I think I, I think potentially this is a good idea if if there was proper money and proper marketing behind it and the idea would be to have maybe 10 clubs that would really raise the standard and i suppose get to the level that i would see the norwegian the danish uh, clubs being at at the moment which i don't think our, our clubs are at and uh, so i think we could reach the kind of the standard of the the leagues in in the 20 to 35 range in europe i know our league in particular has maybe got into the top 35 but realistically it's it's probably a bit below that so if there was significant investment uh a very good TV deal because, frankly, our clubs and I, I think the Irish league clubs are making very little out of TV at the moment as well. If there was significant investment, a, a good TV deal, possibly even some cross-border grants, because I know a lot of money has been since the Good Friday or Belfast Agreement, a lot of money has been pumped into cross-border projects and things like that. If there was significant investment there. And uh, then for my biased hat on, from a Limerick bias, I know Treaty United are currently just, just coming into the second tier of, uh, of football here. So we'd be a long way off even the, the Premier Division. But I would like to see it uh, 
encompass quite a bit of the island. And and I'm talking Cork as well, because, I mean, the, the only team from uh, from Cork City are in the, the second tier here as well. I mean, our league down here is very much kind of a Dublin, Dundalk, uh, East Coast. East Coast, bias. really, kind of like, East yeah. Coast. And, I mean, if you're going to have a 10-team a or 12-team All-Island League, you don't want all the teams being between Dublin and Dundalk. And, uh, I mean, would even Sligo Rovers or Derry City get in at the moment? And, and Derry City, obviously, are the team that would straddle the the cross-border point of it. So I, I think it would actually be very important that the league would actually cover from a geographical spread the whole, the whole island. And... Uh, because currently in the Republic, the second, third and fourth cities, as in Cork, uh, Limerick and Galway, don't have a, a club in the top tier mm. as it is. So that even allowing for my bias, and I know my very strong Limerick bias, I'm not I'm not trying to hide that. But I and, and maybe that's been unfair, because if you look at how successful the Dublin clubs, I'm sure you have a different opinion, Jar, because Pats are doing incredibly well. Shamrock Rovers Just are doing incredibly well. Bows are doing incredibly well. I mean, you have three very strong Dublin clubs that are regularly competing in Europe. Dundalk, um, just up the road, are doing incredibly well. have been in the group stages of the Europa League twice in the last, what, five years. So uh, maybe I'm being a bit unfair in the geography point of view. But from the All-Ireland League point of view, yes, if there is significant uh, money marketing behind it and with the ability the clubs to have much bigger budgets, um, because if I look at the Irish League perspective and uh, the clubs like Linfield and Glentorn in particular, they're they're absolutely massive clubs with potentially massive support, and the crowds they draw when they meet uh, would be significantly higher probably than the crowds that our clubs would get. Uh, but then. Linfield and Glentorn can play in front of significantly smaller crowds when they play the likes of Dungan and Swifts or Warren Point. So, um, yeah, I'd love to hear Andy's thoughts. Yeah, so I'm the first thing I guess to say is I'm a I, I support Bangor. I'm a Bangor boy, which will mean probably absolutely nothing to your listeners. But we're in the uh, we're in the third division right now. More recently than that, we actually dropped down to a regional league, and it's been uh, well over a decade since since Bangor have been in the Irish Premiership. So, like this doesn't really affect me on any. On any sort of level, we'll still be playing the the wee small teams from Northern Ireland. But I mean, I think it's it's very interesting because um, there seems to be. I mean, obviously, the ten of the the twelve clubs backed it uh, back in twenty nineteen, uh, and the IFA in the end rejected the proposal. But from what I hear about this, and in that Belfast Telegraph article, there weren't like too many details on like exactly what the finances would be or what the TV deal would be and and things like that. But I, I mean, as I say, I, I support Bangor. My, my dad's a Linfield supporter, and I, I used to go down to some of the Linfield games uh, when I was a bit younger. And I used to always enjoy the Satanta Cup games. Um, I used to enjoy that there was a bit of an edgier atmosphere, as long as it obviously didn't cross the um, the obvious boundary. But I, I, I quite enjoyed that. They always it always drew out some crowds. You were always a bit more nervous going to play uh, at a team from down south. And I remember. Um, I can't remember exactly what year it was, maybe 2007, 2008, where uh, Linfield went in a run to the Satanta Cup final and were beaten on penalties by by Drogheda United. But like those are the memories of of, of going to follow Linfield that I that I cherish and, and really enjoy. And albeit I wasn't old enough to remember the, the Satanta Cup wins. So from my perspective, you know, I'm living over here in, in in Liverpool, but if I'm home in the summer and there's a summer league, I'm far more likely to go down and watch 
uh, you know, Linfield versus St. Pat's or Linfield versus uh, Shelburne or Dundalk than I am, for example, Linfield versus the Gammon Swifts. So I think, you know, the, the idea that it will will draw more fans is 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 definitely appealing. And I think it would be a, a good thing for the television. It would be a good product. Um, you know, the I think, Jerry, you were mentioning that uh, some of the uh, Irish League games have been shown on TV this year. And yes, there's not much money coming in from it, but I think it is it is drawn in, you know, uh, a significant amount of viewers. And there's a Friday night game, Saturday uh, half five games as well, which which I've, I've been good and I've actually enjoyed tuning in to watch. So the the question really is European places. There's four European places for Northern Irish clubs every year at the moment. And uh, I was reading uh, an article last night, which I think in 2018, Ballymena United came second in the Irish League and uh, and picked up 400,000 just from being in the Europa League qualifiers that year. So you know that is a is a really significant amount of money for those clubs. Albeit it's not a constant revenue stream because it's different clubs in Europe every year, bar maybe Linfield and and Crusaders up until a couple of years ago. Um, but the other side of that is, will the TV deal kind of account for that? You know, we know certainly in the Premier League, I know we're talking on a, a, a much greater scale here, but in the Premier League, the the TV money massively dwarfs the uh, even the even the the Champions League money that teams get, and and that's really what's um what's made the the Premier League clubs a lot richer in recent years without just having kind of external uh, investment. So. It would all depend on that. We obviously don't know a lot about the finances at the minute, but in terms of like maybe bringing it back to how it would help the national teams, I think you look at uh, there's been quite a few um, players from the Republic of Ireland who either have come from the League of Ireland or who have uh, or who were still playing in the League of Ireland when they were called up. And obviously Stephen Kenny's uh, put his trust in a lot of, of 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 players from the League of Ireland as well. And it's the same with with the Northern Irish team as well. The likes of Gavin White, Niall McGinn, uh, going back a little bit, you've got. Um, Gareth McCauley as well played for played in the Irish League until he was about 25, and sure Dallas too. So you know these players are coming through and benefiting from the Irish League, and I think the the inevitable raising of standards uh, will you know will will help both national teams. The only th- other concern, just to just to finish up, because I know you want to you don't want this to go on so long, but the only other concern is kind of the transition from Northern Irish clubs into full time football. Lauren transitioned a couple of years ago and it's, it's taken them like two or three years to really get used to it. I know it was the same with Crusaders who, you know, their players were picking up a lot of injuries going from training twice a week to five times a week. You know, these players, their bodies aren't used to this level of, of physical, of physical preparation. So even the likes of building, um, you know, gyms and, and, and these things that you need for full time football take time. And I know this proposal is, I think, for 2024, but there would maybe need to be something for Northern Irish clubs whereby the short term shortfalls of uh, of getting used to full-time football whether that doesn't leave them behind in the long term in terms of clubs from the republic of ireland constantly getting the european places and constantly getting that revenue coming in which could leave some of the northern irish clubs behind so there, there are some of the concerns that we have from a northern irish point of view but i would personally quite like to see it I'm, i don't know if that represents the views of all irish league supporters or all supporters in northern ireland it's, um, it probably doesn't even represent the majority of them but from a personal point of view uh, as somebody who has no kind of skin in the game being a banger supporter i would like to see it I think though, like I'd be saying, I would like to see it because it's going to lead, hopefully, to better sponsorship, better TV deals, better interest. It's going to possibly then lead to better finances for clubs, players, then kind of getting better wages out of it, maybe staying around um, in the league a lot more. Like the big problem here in the League of Ireland is just the one year kind of contracts. Maybe they might have more stable contracts for themselves. I think as well, the fact it's like 12 teams in Northern Ireland, is it similar to Scotland? Do you have three games in the league splits or does everyone play each other four times? No, three games league splits, yeah, 38 yes, games. Same with Scotland. Like here we have a scenario situation with a 10-team division. There's four league matches. 
And then if you throw in cup competitions, you could be playing the one team six times throughout a quarter of a season. Where like with Kieran's proposal, that you still have maybe your traditional first half of the season, everyone plays each other home and away, and then kind of split and break up. It's great just for novelty, just to kind of break it up for away days for you know fans from Sligo, Derry, Dublin clubs go to Warren Point, Newry, Dungannon, you know the Belfast clubs like Glentorian, Cliftonville, and vice versa. It would be just really nice to kind of break it up in a bit of novelty. I know. I think I've seen something that's it's a five and a half hour trip from Cork to Cliftonville, which look they could stay somewhere overnight and break it up or whatever else like that. Just one kind of last thing or one final kind of thing. We've seen here in the last couple of years, like that the league obviously with Dundalk now um having to get into the Open League group stage the last couple of years, a major breakthrough. And obviously now with a situation with COVID, you know, a few games getting televised, fans can't go to matches. We have our watch LOI stream, we now have the LOI TV for the first division. What's kind of the situation, kind of the feel at the moment in surrounding Northern Irish Premiership? I know Lingfield came very close to the Open League group stages in 2019. Bet Corbag in the first leg. I think Glenville bet Mould in one leg of the Open League in 2018. Yep. Last season, I think is it Erling uh, Haaland was playing that night. Interestingly, who Erling Haaland was playing that night and, and yeah, so, so was was the manager as yeah. well. So yeah, yeah. and then so I, always, I always say to my, my Manchester United supporting mates, you know, your your manager couldn't beat Gary Hamilton. <laughs> And I think if I correct the same well, last summer, uh, Coleraine bet uh, Maurerbor, who have been yes. in the Champions League. So, where is the overall feel with the with the Northern Irish Premiership moment, and how was kind of COVID affected? I know that they kind of more or less just stopped their season when it uh, when it hit last year, as, as opposed to res- res- resuming it. Yeah, I think uh, well, that's that's one of the arguments from the uh, from the Northern Irish perspective. You know, our clubs are competing in Europe more and more, just with the 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 better product of the Irish league and the, the bit more money that's coming into that. You mentioned Linfield there; it was an incredible run, a, a bit unlucky in the end. You know, we were I was actually at the game against Carabag. We were three one up. Shane Lavery had an incredible game that night, and uh, it was a it was a late stupid penalty that we gave away. And I remember saying to my dad at the time. Um, that goal that, that made it 3-2, that will ultimately kill us. Uh, and it did in the end, uh, going over there. But in the end, it was only on away goals. And you mentioned uh, Cole Rain with that incredible result in Maribor. Uh, and they the ran Motherwell very close, actually, as well. It was uh, the, the only, it was it was 2-2 in the end. Northern Irish goalkeeper Trevor Carson actually saved the penalties for Motherwell. So, um, you know, Northern Irish clubs, they are definitely improving in Europe. And, um, you know, you go back to the days of even 10 years ago where even Linfield were getting hammered 7 and 8 by teams like Randers of uh, of Denmark and uh, and other teams like that. And it doesn't help, obviously, that, uh, well, of course, the League of Ireland teams have the benefit of it being kind of midway through their season rather than the Irish League where a lot of teams have just been back training for a week and, and are part-time in any case. So I, I'm not really sure how, I'm not really sure whether that's like a flash in the pan for Northern Ireland teams in Europe or whether that's kind of the level of the league uh, that's improving in that way and and uh, and that's going to kind of be the norm for teams to be getting through these ties which 10 years ago would, they wouldn't, have, wouldn't have even had a hope in but um, I just think like the overall standard of the league um, I mean, you mentioned like the uh, <laughs> I quite enjoy the idea of the transatlantic uh, competition the like of Anderlecht doing Portadown away or something like that but uh, um yeah, I'm. I'm not sure. I think just the, you know, obviously the, there have been a couple of uh, League of Ireland clubs who've qualified for the group stages recently, and and that that you know that was that, that was an incredible achievement, and the idea that uh, you know five or six Northern Irish clubs could take a punt on winning the an All Ireland League, and and perhaps um, you know push push to to get into the group stages. I know Larne have a very ambitious project, for example. Linfield will always be challenging in any league they're in. So I'm not sure what the actual um, 
you know, thinking in, is behind it. And there's definitely a concern from the Northern Irish clubs that we'd be a little bit left behind or that we'd, you know, naturally with the populations of the two countries, there's always going to be um, more League of Ireland clubs in Europe or more clubs from down south in Europe than, than, than up north. So I'm not really sure, but I think, you know, there's definitely a sea change in Northern Irish mentality of clubs. I mentioned Lauren Linfield, even Glenn Torn of a very ambitious project. So they'll back themselves to go and win an All-Ireland League. Uh, and as the standard of the league improves over the next couple of years with the TV deal, with the money coming in, uh, they'll back themselves to get into Europe as well. Gary, as our senior analysis here, uh, anything you want to touch on or ask before we finish up? Yeah, I mean, Andy Andy covered it. I mean, the likes of uh, Linfield and Glentorn in particular, I know Lauren have actually done a, a fantastic job uh, going uh, full-time. And I know Lee J. Lynch from Limerick is playing there and, and playing very well and really enjoying life up there. And they may well come to challenge. But, the, the, I mean, historically, the likes of Linfield and Glentorn are absolutely massive clubs. Uh, Potentially, uh, Linfield are the biggest club in the island. I know Shamrock Rovers fans may be screaming at this sense, absolute rubbish. But, um, I mean, going back, both Linfield and Glentorn have reached the quarterfinals of European competition, which none of our clubs have ever managed to do. I know I'm going back a bit in ancient history there. But, yeah, I, I would not be surprised uh, if there was an All-Ireland League that the the likes of Linfield and Glentorn would be very very capable of winning it. I mean, Linfield and Andy said he was too young, but Linfield won the the first Satanta Cup in two thousand and five. I was in Talca Park that day, and it was a a cracking game and a great atmosphere. And uh, uh, I mean, I think Talca was pretty much full that day, and uh, that shows the potential. Well, I, I I'm sorry to see the Satanta Cup go. It was it, yeah. particularly in the early days. It was absolutely fantastic, and there was also because there was a great TV deal. There was really serious money involved, and uh, that that for me would have to be the case for an All Ireland League to to just make the case, just make it a no brainer at that point of view that the clubs would be earning because. None of our clubs on this island are earning any money from TV at the moment. And then you look across the water and see the kind of money they're earning in the Premier League. So it's, uh, and even in things like the Scottish League, even the Championship League One, the, the money they're making from TV uh, is often far more important than the money they make from gate receipts. And our clubs currently, we've nothing from gate receipts. We're making uh, nothing from TV either. So uh, th that's where I think the potential is, and also just to lift, to lift the whole standard, and just even lift the perception as well. Because Andy mentioned the, some of the Irish league games on TV have been superb this season. They've been really great to watch. It's been a great TV product. Um, but I, I bet the clubs are making uh, virtually nothing out of it. And and the same with our own league, Jar. That we've yeah. we've we've got some really. Uh, high quality games that can uh, that just need I think it's it's the perception or the image or something like that because the the vast majority of football fans here still don't go and watch our games and maybe it's just something to get people to Daily Mount to Tala uh, the Markets Field hopefully uh, on a on a Friday night uh, or, or indeed to, to the Oval or Windsor Park or Inver Park uh, to to the big to see them as being the big games, you can still watch your Liverpool and your Manchester United on on TV at the at the weekend as well. Yeah, yeah and just, just can I pick up Dave quick on a point you make there, Gary? Because the TV, like, it would be a massive part of it. But maybe one concern the the Irish League 
clubs would have is that you know they're always will well not always uh, but there always will be kind of three or four um european spots every year in an irish league whereas with the tv deal we've kind of seen um certainly this year with france the tv deals fallen through and a lot of those french clubs are are like in, are really in the mud in that in that respect i think psg are gonna have to sell a couple of players and there's a real problem with that there's a shortfall of nearly 200 million so you know if that if that tv deal was something that would be kept up and you know we have to kind of have faith in the product and the standard of the football that would be shown on TV that people would keep tuning in. Uh, it would have to be something that would be consistent and not just for three or four years like the Satanta Cup was rather than, um, you know, because then you could find Irish league clubs complaining that they've missed out on, on not getting European spots. They're not getting that money. And then worst case scenario, there's no TV deal either, but it would, it would kind of all depend on that. So it is a bit of a risk in that scenario. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I European, the- European money is massive for our clubs as well. It's absolutely crucial. And they qualifying for Europe makes such a difference. And the money involved is so important from that perspective. So I don't know if there's any way of safeguarding the eight European spots the island currently has. I mean, lose that dropping to four. I know Kieran Lucid had a way or a, some kind of a formula around that. I'm not sure if UEFA would play ball with something like that. But yeah, so even from that perspective, the TV deal has to be significant to make that worthwhile. Yeah. I think there was even a strong case like before COVID and everything else like that, like when, when matches were televised here, that clubs actually were missing out and because of the fact that there is no proper TV deal and it was dropping revenue because the game was on TV. So like that is a major, major concern go- going forward. And even just touch on your point as well, go back there, Gary, about Lingfield and, and Dundalk. I know they had the United Nations Cup there in 2019. I know Dundalk ends up winning the second leg quite comprehensively, but you and Paul were at the first leg in, Win- in Windsor Park or the National Park or National Stadium. But I think that was a more fair reflective of really kind of what the standard is going to be like. But that game was 1-1. I think Linkfield had games in hand coming up from the Europa League run and stuff like that. So maybe they weren't fully tuned into the second leg. But I definitely think it would be an even balance, an even split. And I do think the European place is, is going to be the big concern going, going forward. I think like Kieran Lucid's proposal, it is the best one. Like you still have your separate leagues, just play your two rounds of games. That decides the European places. But... There's more complications then with UEFA and stuff like that. So it is something that I think is definitely going to lead to a lot more debate and we're going to hear a lot more of over the next while or so. Just before we go and everything else like that, uh, Andy, I suppose this is a, a good opportunity for free marketing and free advertisement for yourself to tell us about the Spirit of 16 podcast and where people can find it. Yeah, so it's a it's a national it's a national team podcast on the Northern Ireland national team. There's no real Irish league or anything like that. Um, for anyone who's tuned in for that, but yeah, we're on SoundCloud, Spotify, and iTunes. Uh, we're not anything big. It's just a bit of fun to talk about Northern Ireland pre and post game. Um, and and yeah, that's that's pretty much what we've been doing. It's obviously it's an international football podcast, so we're not doing it all the time. It's just kind of around the games. But our socials, we're on Facebook and we're on Twitter at at spirit of 2016 pod uh, so anyone wants to go on and follow us over there we do some uh, you know updates on players playing at club level and how they're doing and uh, kind of try and keep it consistent throughout the year so yeah doing loads of content on there so yes please do follow great stuff keep it up there lads uh that's where we're going to leave it today here on irish football fan tv I'd like to thank andy for joining us from liverpool and of course gary of course joining us as well as always uh make sure to drop a like and hit that subscribe button if you haven't already well, until the next time, we'll chat to you again. The IFF TV podcast presented by Paul Nealon. Like, rate, and subscribe.